0: Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Marianna Richardson.
1: And I'm Drew Huffaker.
0: Today we're going to be studying Second Nephi chapters 3 through 5.
1: Now as we talk
0: about these wonderful verses and chapters, I, we've been talking so much about Nephi, and Nephi is just larger than life. He just seems so perfect. <laughs> and maybe there are people that you know that just seem so perfect. And then we find out about their lives and oftentimes their lives might not be as perfect as we realize. And that's kind of what we kind of gain a glimpse in these chapters that Nephi himself also is beset with trials, beset with, you know, I love that word beset. He has all things that we might feel too, in terms of I'm a terrible person know, I just keep on making mistakes. I should be perfect and I'm not. And we have these same revelations that Nephi has about his own life. And in some ways, I think it makes me feel a little bit better about my own life too.
1: Do you have any thoughts on that, Drew? That is so true because we look at other people and we always compare our weaknesses and our worst parts of ourselves with the best parts of everyone else. So even Nephi, he was just a hero and such a great example to us in so many ways. He even struggled with his weaknesses and feeling like he had so many areas he needed to improve. But then he looks to the Lord for his confidence and um, overcomes those weaknesses through the Lord. And we'll be able to have that kind of
0: discussion of how do we do that? How do we find that strength? How are we able to overcome? Those issues that all of us have in our lives. But as we start off, we also have Joseph. We've not really talked about Joseph because we have these two young sons that Lehi had. And I can't imagine how old, you know, Soraya was at this point. I was pretty old when I had my last baby, and I keep it, but I didn't have them in the wilderness. So I oftentimes think of Soraya and what she must have suffered, having these two, two little sons while she's traveling in the wilderness. But we kind of mentioned about Jacob, but today we're going to be talking about Joseph.
1: Yes, we are. And we're going to start off with Lehi pulling Joseph to him and sharing with him a prophecy that was given by Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. And so um, it's interesting. Where do we read about Joseph in Egypt? It's at the end of Genesis. It's in Genesis 50. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's interesting if you go to 1 Nephi 13:23. 23, um, we get a little glimpse of another place that we find out a lot more details about Joseph who is sold into Egypt. And it says, in, <clears throat> And he said, Behold, it proceedeth out of the mouth of the Jew, and I, Nephi, beheld it, and said unto me, the book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews which is the Bible which contains the covenants of the Lord which he hath made unto the house of Israel and it also contain many of the prophecies of the prophets and it is a record like unto the engravings which are on the plates of brass save there are not so many so i think it's interesting that the bible has fewer records and pages than the plates of brass and he is sharing this more detailed prophecy of Joseph who was sold into Egypt off the brass plates. So I just thought that was a very interesting little little insight that we could have from the Book of Mormon. So as Lehi shares this prophecy of Joseph who was sold into Egypt with his, with his youngest son that was born in the wilderness, Joseph, um... Joseph, who is sold into Egypt, prophesies of a choice seer who should come forth in the last days. And in this prophecy, you'll notice that there are four different Josephs that are mentioned. So there's Joseph, who is sold into Egypt. There's Joseph, Lehi's son, that he's talking to. There's Joseph Smith, Sr. And there is Joseph Smith, Jr., so if we uh, look at this insight, let me see here. If we go to Second Nephi chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, we see this prophecy. And it says, for Joseph, meaning Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, truly testified, saying, a seer shall the Lord my God rise up who shall be a choicer unto the fruit of my loins. Yea, Joseph truly said, Thus saith the Lord unto me, A ear will I raise up out of the fruit of the lo- thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give a commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. So Joseph has got a very important work to do in these last days. And uh, we learn several different things from this passage and this chapter. And as we read along, I want you to think about three different questions that can be answered as we read through this chapter. One is, what do we know about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ because of Joseph Smith and what he taught. So think about that. How is your life different because of what the Lord restored through Joseph Smith? And what would your life be like if the restoration had not happened? So before we even get into this chapter, what what would you say? What do we know about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ that we we would not have known without the restoration?
0: Well, we have the wonderful first vision that helps us understand that both Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are two separate beings and that they have a body. And I think this is something that a lot of religions don't believe in. But because of the vision of Joseph Smith, our our wonderful prophet of the restoration, we do have that understanding. And we wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the prophet
1: and it helps us to understand that he really is our father. Mm-hmm. We we were created in his likeness likeness and in his image and it just helps us to understand and be able to relate so much better with our heavenly father in Jesus Christ. And so how the, the second question is how is your life different because of the Lord of what the Lord restored through Joseph Smith? Well, I think of how
0: my life is completely centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ and the restoration. And I can't imagine my life without the gospel Mm -hmm. in terms of the things that I've done, but also um, why the why of my life is based on my testimony of the gospel. And it's interesting when we were serving as mission leaders to see people gain that same testimony And how understanding the why of why they were living, you know, the certain way, you know, what the purpose of their life was, that it completely changed the way they wanted to live. And it enabled them to find happiness in life that they had not had before.
1: I love that. It gives us purpose, doesn't it? It helps us to truly understand Heavenly Father's plan of salvation and plan of happiness for us. And it gives our life's purpose and meaning. And the last question is, what would your life be like if the restoration had not happened?
0: I don't want to think.
1: About <laughs> I mean, <what? laughs> I don't want to contemplate that. You know, um, as I was preparing for this podcast today, I thought, how many Christian denominations are there? If all wow. we had was the Bible and we didn't have the Book of Mormon, we didn't have modern day revelation, where can we go? to find the answers. And when I looked it up, thankful for Google that we can just search for things. It says, as of today, there's 33,000 sex denominations of Christians that all believe different things. And part of the restoration is his help us understand that there's a fullness of the gospel. There is a truth. There is we can take all of those wonderful things that other Christian denominations believe and add to them so that we get the full picture of what heavenly Father's plan is for us so yes we we gain a lot, don't we, from the restoration from Joseph Smith, you know,
0: I think that is such a powerful point because we do talk about the fact that we have the fullness of the gospel of jesus christ right and and I think that that doesn't belittle the other religions that believe in the savior but the fullness is what we have and that is what i love is that joseph smith filled in you know the the little cracks the little pieces that that they didn't fully understand yes and so it is such a, a gift
1: and that restoration had to come through joseph who was an instrument it wasn't his own ideas. It no. was revelation directly from our Heavenly Father to help us get a full picture of everything. So I love that. And we want to encourage people of all faiths, you don't have to disregard or cast off the the truth that you have. Bring all the truth you have and see what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can do to add more truth and light to fill fill your understanding of our heavenly father and his divine plan for you
0: it really does fill in the questions
1: yes yes it really does okay so in chapter 3 if we go on to 11 verse 11 and 12 we read a little bit more about what joseph smith's purpose was in this in this uh vision that we that joseph who was sold into egypt had so many josephs <laughs> lots of josephs But a seer will I rise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins, and not to the bringing forth my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them. So what is the word that had gone forth already before Joseph Smith
0: came? It was the Bible.
1: It was the Bible, yes. So it's to help them even more to convince people that Jesus is the Christ. That is the purpose of the Book of Mormon, to bring people to Christ. And the restoration of the gospel as well. And then in verse 12, we read, Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. So the fruit of the loins of Joseph is the record of the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. And the writings of the Jews of Judah is the Bible. So let's see. They'll both be written, and also that which shall be written by their fruit of the loins of Judah, they shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins and bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days and also to the knowledge of the covenants, saith the Lord. So it's those two records, the Bible and the Book of Mormon, are brought together to confine, to confound false doctrines and laying aside contentions. There's so many people that will throughout the world that argue over doctrine. And these two records are witnesses that help testify and solidify the truth as it was taught by our Savior Jesus Christ. You know,
0: every time I have my my quad, you know, where I have my Bible and then my Latter-day Scripture all put together, it just reminds me so much of that <laughs> verse. And I can still remember, I went into a Christian bookstore and I had my large Bible with me. And I had somebody come up and they said, where did you get that big Bible? <laughs> And I showed them, and I showed them how it was all cross-referenced and how I had other scripture in there. And I can just remember how amazed they were. at And and so every time I hold that, I think, I have a whole library of truth and knowledge just all in, in one stick, all <laughs> together in one book. It yeah, is so wonderful.
1: It is. And it, all of them are so important. Mm-hmm. The Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon the doctrine and covenants that is revelation in these latter days, they all bear record of Christ and help us to understand more and more all of the ways of the Lord and the covenants of the Lord. So I love that.
0: Thank you. So we're going to be talking now about Nephi and the thoughts of his soul. And I just love the fact that he says he is writing the thoughts of his soul. And I couldn't help but think about our journals. And I hope that all of us do keep a journal where we put (laughs) the thoughts and feelings of our soul there. And then he goes on and has this wonderful passage of scripture, which is called the Psalm of Nephi. And I wanted to just kind of analyze it a little bit because it's interesting. The words are so beautiful. It's almost like reading poetry. Yes. they're they're just gorgeous words but along with that they are also words that we can understand and relate to you know and i think sometimes poetry we it's hard to understand <laughs> but these words are not hard to understand but this is uh verses 17 through 35 and it's interesting one thing that i've done in my scriptures is look at the pronouns that are used Throughout these verses and see the differences in terms of the pronouns that he uses. At the beginning, he's using I, 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 I. He's talking about himself. And so he's just looking at himself and about the problems that he has. And oftentimes when we get into that state where we're just thinking about ourselves, we're not thinking about God, we're not thinking about other things, we're just thinking about how terrible I am and how terrible my life is, and that's where he is right now at the very beginning of this. And that's the reason why we can all relate to those feelings. He says, Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am! Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about And then, and when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. So it's this all, I, 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 my, 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 me, me, me. And, but things change when he says, nevertheless, I know in whom I've trusted. Then if you look at the next one, the next about five, six verses, the pronouns change. The pronouns change to he where he's talking about all of the the beautiful things of his God and what his God has given to him. And he said, My God hath been my support. He hath filled me with his love. He hath confounded my enemies. He hath heard my cry. So all of these is taking away the I and looking at the he, at his God. And I mean he as a capital H in this part. And then he has this kind of in-between part where he kind of says, Okay, I understand that I am weak. I understand that I am wretched. But if I believe in this great and glorious God, that should affect my life. That should change me. And he says, Oh, then, if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep, and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow, and my flesh waste away, and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions? So he has this great epiphany, where you know he goes from the "I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible person," to acknowledging God and how God can help him, that he's right uh, on our own, we are wretched people but through the strength of God, we can overcome that wretchedness. And then he says, why am I angry because of mine enemy? Now, for me, that's pretty significant <laughs> when we think of how Laman and Lemuel, his brothers, have tried to kill him time and time again. And so I, I wanted to ask you, Drew, have you ever had that experience where you had somebody that was just, you know, constantly kind of, frustrating in your life and causing you always to have those feelings of why are you persecuting me?
1: Yes, I did. One time I had a neighbor a long time ago that um, I don't know what it was. We just didn't click. I tried to be kind. I tried to compliment her. I tried to do nice things for them and it just didn't work. And I don't understand why, but I just tried my very best to pray for her and pray for our relationship. But for whatever reason, they just chose not to see things the same way I was. So it is difficult if you have people that for whatever reason, you just can't quite get along with or understand each other. And I think that's how
0: Nephi felt about his brothers. He just really didn't understand why they were feeling, you know, those anger and hatred and I want to kill you. (laughs) <laughs> because he never felt that way towards them, but we kind of have a glimpse that, you know what, he he did kind of have a little bit of anger in his heart in terms of, you can't help it. You know, the natural man, when somebody's, you know, having those feelings against you, and yet he acknowledges that through the Lord's help, he has in the past and will continue in the future, be able to handle those feelings. And then in verse 28 and 29, this is the epiphany. Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. So he acknowledges that these negative feelings are an enemy to his soul. And then he says, do not anger again because of my enemies. So he's acknowledging that he has felt that frustration with Laman and Lemuel. But he says, rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord. And then the last five verses is a prayer of rejoicing, a prayer of gratitude to his Lord. And if you look at how many times he says, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, and it's because he is praying to the Lord and exactly saying, I love the Lord. And he says, Oh, my heart, and cry unto the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, I will praise thee forever. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me, that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road? O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? And I love this one because I thought of Lehi. When we talked about Lehi, Lehi in 2 Nephi chapter two, 1 and 2, when we had those chains that Lehi talked oh. about, how uh, Laman and Lemuel were bound by chains, but he said, but I am bound and encircled by the loving arms of my heavenly father, my Lord. And he's saying the same thing here. And I think that he's just also remembering <laughs> the words of his father. Oh, sure. So um, he goes on to say, oh, Lord, I have trusted in thee and I will trust in thee forever. And it's almost a covenant relationship that he's praying for, that he will, will not have those negative feelings ruin his heart anymore. But instead, he will trust in the Lord and realize that the Lord, through the Lord's help, he can overcome all things.
1: And I love that as you read through this, it just hit me that this is really our spiritual progression. When we first are in this world, we recognize we are sinners. Mm -hmm. We recognize all of our weaknesses. And then as we start to remember, God has always been there for us. He's always shown up for us. He was there when we were in sorrow. He, He was there when we were going through the wilderness. He's there to help us with our families. So like you said, we turn inward. From being inward looking to outward looking to God, and then as we look and embrace Him more and more, now it's awry, awake my soul that that's all you're a hundred percent in, and now your focus is only on the Lord.
0: I do want to also share just a, a quick story about this. The first one was um, my husband when we were dating, you know, just before <laughs> we got married. We loved to read scriptures together, and one night we decided to share our favorite scripture. And I shared King Benjamin's address, but my wonderful husband shared this, the Psalm of Nephi. And I can still remember him reading this to me with such fervor, with such you know, feeling. And I have to admit, I think that's when I fell in love with him. <laughs> and I knew that we were going to be together forever So because he really felt these feelings, just like Nephi.
1: Isn't so. that wonderful? So that might be a, a great thing for us to do. Those of you out there that are looking for a spouse. Oh, yeah. This, read the scriptures and you will find It's romantic. It, yes. It's <laughs> so. And the thing that makes you more attractive to that person is because they love the Lord as much as you do. Oh, definitely. And that is a bond that will strengthen a family and a marriage greater than anything else is. You know, that we're taught where it's a kind of a triangular relationship, our relationships with each other and each of our relationships with God and all three of those together make the very best possible marriage that, and family that we can have.
0: Oh, I agree. The other thing that I just wanted to mention was I did have a problem where this, oh, wretched man that I am, where I would just say I'm a terrible person way too often. And, you know, just be like little things, like I said something that I shouldn't have to somebody, or, you know, maybe I, um, you know, kind of was impatient with somebody or something like that. And and I would say, oh, I'm just such a terrible person. And my daughter came up to me and said, mom, why do you keep on saying you're a terrible person? <laughs> and that was such a reminder to me that I think too often we beat ourselves up too often and that's another thing that I think we can learn from Psalm of Nephi. Instead of focusing on the, oh, wretched man that I am, we need to focus on the end of yes. the Psalm in terms of the way he found awake, oh, my soul. And then he felt encircled round about by the Lord's righteousness and his loving arms.
1: And isn't that an important lesson? It's good that we recognize we have faults. But we're supposed to find those faults so that we can have those weaknesses become strengths. But we can't dwell on them. That is what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to focus on our inadequacies and not the strength of the Lord that can be manifest through us, even in our weakness. Mm -hmm. So I love that. As you were talking about things of the soul... I thought of Elder Rasband's talk that he gave that was just beautiful. Oh, it was beautiful. He was talking about during COVID, and he was meeting online with a young woman. And um, he asked her, have you ever spoken to an apostle before? And she said, no. And he said, well, then ask me any question that you'd like. And he she asked him, what are the most important things that I should know? So to Elder Rasband, that meant to him, what is most precious to him? And he went through a list and I thought it was interesting. He said, it would be great to come up with 10 different things, but I'm only going to give you seven. And I want you to think about two or three other things to have the 10 and to think about what's the most important thing to you that you would want to share with someone. But the seven that he shared were that he loves God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Second, that it's important that we love our neighbor. Third, like you just said, we have to love ourselves. Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. Um, he talked about the importance of keeping the commandments. To always be worthy of a temple recommend to be joyful and cheerful, and seventh, to follow God's living prophet. So those were the very most important things that he wanted to share with this this young woman. And I think that we need to think about what's really important to us. If you look at the choices you make every day when you wake up, what's the first thing that you think of? Is it, I'm going to do something for myself? Is it, how much money can I make today? Or is are we focused on Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father's plan and what he wants us to do for him? So I think that that's very telling what our focus is all through the day. And if you find yourself focusing a little more on worldly things than we should, maybe that's a time that we can reflect and stop and focus on on Jesus Christ a little bit more that day.
0: So another thing that we can think about, too, is this idea of how do we live in happiness? You know, it's kind of hard sometimes. (laughs) And uh, it's interesting because in chapter five, especially verse 27, we have Nephi talking about how they lived in happiness. He says, exactly. And it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. So what is the manner of happiness? (laughs) And I wanted to look at some of the verses in chapter 5 to see what did they do to live in this manner. And some of the things might be a surprise. The first one that I thought was really interesting is found in verse 6, because this doesn't sound like a happy thing. (laughs) Basically, what happened is it said, It came to pass that I, Nephi, did take my family and Zoram and his family, Sam, my elder brother and his family, jacob joseph my younger brethren and also my sisters and those who would go with me and all those who would go with me were those who believed in the warnings and the revelations of god wherefore they did hearken unto my words so these are the people that did believe in nephi as a prophet and they also believed that there was warnings and the warning was that laman and lemuel was going to kill them you know Lehi now has passed away. And so Lehi was a little bit of the deterrent. You know, the father figure was still there. But now that Lehi has passed away, they are going to kill those that are holding on to the scriptures and that are holding on to the teachings of Lehi. And I know that you had some insights into this idea of the daughters, the daughters of Lehi.
1: Yes. And also, I wanted to touch just for a moment on the The lessons that we learn about spiritual survival. So we know that after Lehi's death, that they became very angry that now Nephi was going to rule over them. And they thought because they were the eldest brethren, that they should be the ones that are ruling. That were in charge. And Nephi had spent his whole life trying to teach them and pray for them and tried to con- try to convince them to follow the Lord and to be faithful and keep the commandments. But they just chose not to. And now it had gotten to the point again that they were threatening to kill him. And this time I think they would have done it because- I think
0: they would have too.
1: The Lord had to come and, and uh, tell Nephi, you need to leave. To and even in our own lives, sometimes we are in groups of friends or associates that we are trying to be good examples to. Um, maybe we have, over the years, tried to be a good example and a friend to them to help hopefully bring them to the gospel and to our Savior Jesus Christ. But sometimes there's a point in our lives that we have to separate ourselves from people who are not living the gospel, who are not interested in the things of God. And that's what Nephi had to do. He had to physically separate himself. And I think sometimes, even in our own lives, we have to just walk away sometimes, put ourselves in a new environment where we can feel the Spirit of the Lord again and prosper and do the things that He wants us to do with people around us that support us and are like minded. Well, and that goes by living in the manner
0: of happiness. Sometimes, if we stay in those situations, we will not be happy. I think the Lord understood that and realized, even though I'm sure it was hard leaving their loved ones, because I know that they still love them. And yet they were also in a place where they had established a home and now they had to leave their home again. I mean, think how many times they had been called to leave their homes and here they were leaving their homes again
1: I I love the new Book of Mormon videos that the church has released. And there was one that really touched me when they're showing this exodus of Nephi leaving with his family and all of those who would follow him. I thought of the little kids. Oh, they they loved,
0: really loved each other. They love
1: their little and cousins. This course. is their only friends that they have. And if their parents are not being faithful, they have to leave and they'll never see them again and the video did such a beautiful job of showing that compassion and love that the little cousins had for each other and i i don't think about the little kids and how it impacts them but i i loved that um that little humanity and that little um that little epiphany of how hard it must have been for them as well.
0: Well, and I think we get that insight in the Book of Mormon as to how generations are affected by our choices. And when we think about how Laman and Lemuel kind of changed the story. For generations, that story yes. was passed down from generation to generation. And how Nephi and the Nephites had a very different story about why they came here to this promised land and also what their Lehi, their father, had taught them. All of that changed, and yet that was carried down from generation to generation.
1: Well, and you have to think, the brass plates went with Nephi. Exactly. So Laman and Lemuel and their family did not have the scriptures anymore. And can you imagine if you only had to go by what you had remembered through your upbringing? the The Bible stories or the stories that you had been told about God, and in time those stories change. Would change, and definitely. then they are forgotten. And I think another thing that hit me this time when I was reading through um, Second Nephi is you had mentioned Zoram's family followed Nephi, mm-hmm. Sam, Jacob, Joseph, the two younger brothers that were born in the wilderness, and his sisters. And, um, I think it's interesting to think about Nephi's sisters. If you go back to the nineteen ninety six Book of Mormon student Manual that was used by BYU and the Institutes of Religion, it talks about his sisters and this is the only specific reference in the Book of Mormon that Nephi had sisters as well as brothers, and that's found in Second Nephi. How many sisters? there were, whether they were older or younger than Nephi, or what their names may have been, are questions not answered in our present Book of Mormon. However, the following statement of Erastus Snow, that was found in the Journal of Discourses, may provide some information on some of his sisters. So the prophet Joseph informed us that the, that the record of Lehi was contained on the 116 pages that were first translated and subsequently stolen, and of which an abridgment is given us in the first book of Nephi, which is the record of Nephi individually, he himself being of the lineage of Manasseh. Mm -hmm. But that Ishmael was of the line of Ephraim, and that his sons married into Lehi's family. So if Ishmael's family is marrying into Lehi's family. Nephi has to have older sisters or some near his age. And Lehi's sons married Ishmael's daughters. So the words that Ishmael's sons married into Lehi's family would seem to indicate that the two sons of Ishmael were married to Lehi's daughters. And thus to two of the sisters of Nephi. However, the sisters referred to in 2nd Nephi chapter 5 verse 6 are evidently other sisters. Because the sisters mentioned here follow Nephi when they are separated from Laman and Lemuel, whereas the sisters of Nephi who were married to the sons of Ishmael evidently stayed with their husbands and joined Laman. So I have never thought about Nephi having sisters, some following him and some following Laman and Lemuel. And there's also no mention of where his mother goes. If he if she's not mentioned that she's leaving with Nephi, I wonder did she... She s- might have passed away since Nephi yes. had passed away. She could have but passed away know, or right? she could have stayed back hoping that she could teach them mm-hmm. and help encourage them. So it's interesting. We don't have we any don't mention know. of her. Mm-hmm.
0: So, as we go on in chapter five, looking at the ways that we can live the manner of happiness, if we look at verse 10, it says, And we did observe to keep the judgments and statutes and commandments of the Lord in all things according to the law of Moses, and the Lord was with us, and we did prosper exceedingly. So, because of their obedience, they were blessed with prosperity. Even though they had left everything behind, they still were prospered by the Lord because they had followed his warnings and they had followed his revelations. And then in verse 12, it says, and I, Nephi, had also brought the records. So just like you mentioned, they are the ones that had the scriptures with them, which were engraven, engraven upon the plates of brass and also the ball or compass. So they had the Leahona also to help them, which was prepared by my father. And then if we go to 14, this is another interesting thing in terms of living in the manner of happiness, which might seem a (laughs) a little ironic, but when we think about the importance of protecting ourselves, he says, and I, Nephi, did take the sword of Laban, and after the manner of it did make many swords, lest by any means the people who are now called Lamanites should come upon us and destroy us. And so they also, in terms of living in a manner of happiness, they made sure that they were protected they They took what they needed to do to make sure that their families were safe and then finally, in sixteen, they said, "And I Nephi did build a temple and I know we're going to talk more about this later, but living in the manner of happiness is also temple worship. But finally, in seventeen, he says, "And it came to pass." that I, Nephi, did cause my people to be industrious and to labor with their hands. And it talks about how they built buildings. They did work in all manner of wood, iron, copper, brass, steel. I mean, they were busy. They were an industrious group. Um, I just love, just recently, Elder Bednar gave a devotional talk at BYU, and it was all about work and how important work is. And he said, Work is love made manifest, doing God's holy work by the power of his spirit changes our hearts and minds in remarkable ways as we each labor in mortality to accomplish God's purposes, we are proved, polished, and prepared for eternal blessings. Now, on the other side, and I know we're going to talk about this in just a moment the The Lamanites had a very different thing that was happening to them. And Elder Bednar kind of talked about when we're not doing the Lord's work, you know, because we are the works of the Lord's work. And that's exactly, you know, one of the great phrases from Elder Bednar's talk. But he said, work is essential for our spiritual progress. Inaction negates the gift and blessing of moral agency. It is the antithesis of faith, idleness, laziness, slothfulness, fear, apathy, and procrastination are the opposites of true faith in the Savior. So we must find work
1: in our lives.
0: (laughs) We must have that purpose. And if we don't, then, you know, we do get depressed. It is hard to live in a manner of happiness if we're not gainfully employed, if we're not doing the work of the Lord, but also just working with our hands, taking care of the blessings that the Lord has given to us And having a a career or work that brings
1: us joy. I think it's interesting that when we think of happiness, we think of vacation. Oh, I know. (laughs) Getting away from work and getting away from things. And I love that he taught them. He educated them, too, to work all manner of ore and to work with wood and to do all kinds of things to build their community. And I love the unity they had. They were all working together toward a common purpose. And I think even our spiritual lives, they are work.
0: They are work. And and I love the fact that he talks very specifically about how important they were. The scriptures meant so much to them that they really did hold on to the word of God. And not only that, but also they taught their children. And that's also something that we're gonna see in living in a manner of happiness it's not something we keep to ourselves, but we have to share our faith and our spirituality with others.
1: Yes, yes, I love that. I love all of what's beginning to happen to Nephi as they establish this righteous community. Um, there is something that I want to talk about today that's very sensitive that a lot of people have, I believe, misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And that is when Laman and Lemuel separate from the Nephites, that um, there was a curse that came upon the Lamanites. And I want you to listen very, very carefully to how this is taught in the scriptures, because I think it can easily be misconstrued. So in Nephi's day, the curse, we learn in Alma 23, verse 18, that in Nephi's day, the curse of the Lamanites, was that they were cut off from the Lord's presence because of iniquity. So that is the only curse they were given, is they were cut off from the Lord's presence. This meant that the Spirit of the Lord was withdrawn from their lives. And later, when the Lamanites embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, the curse of God did no more follow them, because now they had the Spirit of the Lord with them. Well, in 2 Nephi chapter 5, verse 21, a lot of times people will confuse the curse of being cut off from the presence of the Lord with the mark of dark skin that came upon the Lamanites, and that is not true. That is not true. The Book of Mormon also states that a mark of dark skin came upon the Lamanites after the Nephites separated from them. Uh, let's actually read that exact scripture so we can see, and then we'll talk about the meaning of it. So I'm sorry, um chapter 5, verse 21, and it says, And he caused the cursing to come upon them, which was to be cut off from the Lord's presence. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto a flint wherefore as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome that they might not be enticing unto the people of the Lord God he did cause the skin of blackness to come upon them and the thing that we need to remember that the nature and appearance of this mark are really not fully understand understood the mark initially distinguished the lamanites from the nephites so that that was its purpose is to just so when they were out in the wilderness and uh, separated that they could tell definitely the difference between those that were following God and those that were not each went through periods of wickedness and righteousness. And as they did, the mark became irrelevant, irrelevant. I can't say that word. (laughs) It's It's a hard one. Irrelevant. So it was just to show a difference between the Lamanites and the Nephites. But as the Lamanites became righteous, there was no curse anymore, and that, that um, mark that had been put on them was irrelevant. Uh, Joseph Fielding Smith also explained the skin of blackness as follows. The dark skin was placed upon the Lamanites so that they could be distinguished from the Nephites and to keep the two peoples from mixing. The dark skin was a sign, a sign of the curse. It wasn't the curse. It, wasn't the it curse. was just a sign that these are the people that that curse had come upon. The curse was the withdrawal of the Spirit of the Lord, and the withdrawal of the Spirit was the cause of the Lamanites to become a loathsome and filthy people, full of idleness and all manner of abominations. The Lord commanded the Nephites not to intermarry with them For if they did, they would partake of the curse, which is they would become spiritually dead. The dark skin of those who have come into the church is no longer to be considered as a sign of the curse. So this was just a specific time that it was just a differentiation between the Nephites and the the Lamanites. And that you cannot tie the mark with the curse. So I think it's important in second Nephi uh, chapter 26, 33, we get even a little more clarity at what the Lord, how the Lord looks on each of us. As Nephi taught, the Lord denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, all are alike unto God. And we need to know that. Heavenly Father loves every single one of his children, all nationalities, all colors, all colors of hair and eyes and all of us. He loves all of us. And this served a specific purpose for them at that time. You know, I think it's really
0: interesting, too, when I think about this. My, I have 12 children, as I know most of you all know, and my children have every color hair. <laughs> I have blondes. I have bright redheads. I have... People with black hair. I have people, some of my children have dark olive skin. Other of my children have white skin like me. And it's interesting do I love my light skinned children more than my dark skinned children? (laughs) Of course not. There is no difference in the Lord's view of how much He loves His children. And I love that President Nelson also underscored this just recently. He said, I assure you that your standing before God is not determined by the color of your skin. Favor or disfavor with God is dependent upon your devotion to God and his commandments and not the color of your skin. And I think it's really important that all of us understand that, that we with open arms reach out to a church that is international, that is worldwide, That is truly from country to country. And that as we do so, we also need to completely open our hearts to all mankind because of that.
1: We do. And we need to look at our brothers and sisters as truly our brothers and sisters and love them and see them and embrace them the way that our Heavenly Father
0: does. Our final point today is that at the temple. We talked about already about how in verse 16 Nephi and his people bringing happiness into their life, built a temple. And it became the center point of their whole existence. And as I thought about that, I thought of how that should be the same in our lives, to truly find happiness in our lives as families and as individuals, that we go to the temple and go to the temple often. Um, John A. Woodso gave a wonderful talk about temple. He loved the temple. And he said, spiritual power is generated within temple walls and sent out to bless the world. Every home penetrated by the temple spirit enlightens, cheers, and comforts every member of the household. The peace we covet is found in such homes. Indeed, when temples are on the earth, the whole world shares measurably in the issuing light. When absent, the hearts of men become heavy. As they said, when the people of Enoch's day, Zion is fled. But Zion is coming, and Zion is coming throughout the world. I just love to see all of the temples dotting every nation. And it is just exciting to me to feel the joy of temples.
1: I absolutely love and adore my time that I get to spend in the temple. It's the thing that gives us the spiritual power that we need. To through our covenants to overcome this world. And as we gather Israel and prepare for the second coming, we need to be endowed from power on high to withstand all that will be coming and to uh, make sure that we are founded on Jesus Christ as we go forward. And the temple is a place that helps us remember him. It's the place that we can focus on him and the things that are really most important in this world. And the more that we go back, it helps us to remember. Remember him and to remember why we're here and gives us that extra strength to move forward.
0: Well, going back to the beginning of our discussion, whenever you're feeling like I'm a terrible person, go to the temple. Have a temple experience. I wanted to end with President Nelson's wonderful words He gave this wonderful talk about the spiritual foundation of the temple. And I don't know if you remember, he was showing how they're changing the Salt Lake Temple and its foundation because it's getting ready for an earthquake, which (laughs) is a little scary, but (laughs) um, I know it's very scary. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, when renovations on the Salt Lake Temple are completed, there will be no safer place during an earthquake than the Salt Lake Valley, than inside the temple. Likewise, whenever any kind of upheaval occurs in your life, the safest place to be spiritually is living inside your temple covenants. So I thought about that, and this is our invitation to you this week. Please, we invite you to find happiness in your life by going to the temple more often and holding true to the temple covenants that you make there. Dear sisters, we love you. We think you're wonderful, and we hope to see you next time.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.